it's so tempting to give up because there's just there's that much tv that i could just (laughs) like i actually don't need anything Hey everybody, welcome to Two Non-Doctors. I'm Liz Mealy. I'm Maria Shahada. We are stand-up comedians. Stand-up comedians that are currently jobless because of the coronavirus. We're finally going to be the doctors our mothers wanted us to be. Is there anything that we don't know? A lot, actually. We have a lot of questions. Uh, We have a lot of answers. All of them wrong. But we do have access to... Google. And a vet. Oh yeah, my mom's a vet. She knows some stuff. We have to do this So again. every once in a while, we're going to invite her on. No, we don't. We're going to actually use this. <laughs> welcome to Two Non-Doctors. Hi, welcome to Two Non-Doctors. I'm Liz Mealy. I'm Maria Shahada. I don't know why I decided that using my hands is a way of showing enthusiasm. You didn't just decide that. You've been like that forever. Yeah, but that's how I like get ready. Like if the hands don't appear in the screen, I'm just like, <laughs> am I really present? Maybe am it's I really you, giving it my all? Maybe it's because you feel like you're not enough and you're like, just to Maybe. emote fully hi you know when really just hi you know what I really hi. think it is I mm. think it's because I'm small and you know how like tiny animals like birds will try to like puff up like animals will puff up their fur or like birds will puff up their feathers to show like they're to make it look like they big they're bigger than they are to like intimidate or like distract I don't know But that's kind of how I feel where I'm like, maybe if I make my hands big and crazy, people will fear me. That's what you want when you start the podcast. You want to be feared. You're like, I'm more like want to be heard. I think it's a way of like getting people's attention. But I think I've just taken like my Italian nature and just taken it too far. That's what I think is happening. I like it. I like it because it's like the opposite of every instinct I have, which is none of that. (laughs) You're just like, I have a shell. I crawl in it. I send a text message. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hiding under my hair. (laughs) (laughs) I do also, when my hair is curly, have big hair. So maybe I really am just trying to like be bigger. See me. I did this. um, There's a book called Creative Visualization. Mm -hmm. And... uh, (laughs) I was doing the, I was doing an exercise. It was helping me um, figure out what my limiting beliefs were. So it said to like list 20 reasons. The reason I can't have what I want is, and so it kind of gets you to admit to yourself why you don't feel like you should get something. Like, and why so, you might not put yourself out there in a certain way. Exactly. So like this, this job kind of came up like out of nowhere and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to get that. And then, so this, this was like, why aren't you going to get it? And I was like, because I'm not good enough because I'm not like, I'm an imposter because I'm not funny enough because I don't know how to do it because this and that. And then I was like, because I'm not a real person because I'm a joke because I'm, <laughs> um, and then I got to, uh, because I'm cute. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and I told you about how when I was little, people used to call me cute. And I was like, I'm not cute. Cause cute means little and I'm not little. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. I was discovering all of that again. Like all the, like my parents infantilizing me and like, you know, feeling like comedy isn't a real real career and not being a real person and not making real adult money and all of this stuff that I've taken, I've kind of internalized my whole career path as dumb or a joke. And so yeah. I'm like, I wouldn't get this because of that. And then I was like, oh wait, no, I'm, I'm a real person. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm real. 
So did it help you move past those feelings to start? Like, I know it's not like you write a list and all of a sudden you're just like, I'm good enough. But did it at least help you like quiet the it shitty did, actually. It actually did. It was really helpful. And it's like, it's not like they go away automatically, but like at least you recognize them. And I'm aware of the limiting beliefs I had. Like they used to be subconsciously and now they're more consciously. And so then I can just move past them easier. I'm going to like bringing them to the surface. It's like getting the gunk out of a zit. You're just sort of like, getting that black head out, right? You're just bringing yeah. it to the surface. You've always had a face. It just had some dirt stuck in there, but you're still yeah. a face. You still right. have one. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I always find my limiting beliefs five years after where I'm just like, oh, I didn't submit to that because I don't think I'm good enough. Yeah. Which I knew that five years ago. And then I'm like, I'm going to remember. Well, what this. was your excuse five years ago? My big limiting belief when it comes to my career is that I'm not going to get it. So why try like okay. this kind of, you know what I mean? So like, I remember this so clearly and I've had to kind of come to terms with the fact that I've done some self-sabotaging stuff, but like one of our, I think it was our, like the big European tour that I ended up doing and you were there and we did it kind of together. I ended up getting a bunch of stuff out of nowhere. Like a couple weeks before I was leaving, I got an audition for like last comic standing and which I had auditioned for before. What was that show on MTV? Girl Code? Yeah, yeah, Girl Code and Guy Code or whatever. I got an audition for that. And they were still figuring out. And I could have stayed and waited, but I was like, I'm going to stay and wait. So I went and then I was asking my manager, like, can I do a self-tape? Which is funny that like they were like, one said absolutely not. And the other one was like, sure, but like clearly didn't care. But like, I wouldn't cancel anything because A, I was making good money. B, I was traveling the world and that's what I wanted to do and I had done this all myself and I worked my ass on it and three I just figured I wasn't going to get it like I would what am I going to cancel my tour I take a lot of risks in my career but they're very calculated risks and I more has to be towards if it doesn't work out I don't lose anything and in my mind if I had risked not going on the first week of this tour or whatever it was and losing a bunch of money, not only would I have financially crippled me because I was in a place where every gig counted, but I didn't, I couldn't have handled if it didn't work out. I couldn't have handled if I canceled that tour or canceled stuff and was in a financially fucked place. And then I didn't get either. I just couldn't handle it. And so I did what I was already planning on doing. And it took me years to realize, like I had worked really hard to get people to pay attention to me. And then they did. And I would, I just continued to do my own thing because I don't trust the industry to actually take care of me, which I yeah. kind of in some ways don't think is wrong, but I do see now that sometimes I don't fully put myself out there when it comes to other people, like the industry judging me because they ask for so much and give so little. Hey, can mm. you show up at this audition six times in a row? Please cancel all your plans. Da, 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 da. America's Got Talent. I remember I got really far in it. And then they were like, okay, this weekend, you're probably going to go to Vegas, but we don't know yet. And it was getting closer and closer. And I refused to cancel the weekend I was doing because I was like, I know they're going to let me down. And if I cancel that weekend, I'm out of money and this. And then they ended up not doing it. But I don't know if that was like limiting beliefs of being like, I'm not going to get it. It feels like you're telling us why limiting beliefs work out for you. <laughs> no, I, I, I actually don't though. Like I can sit here and say like it, my path has been a lot longer than other people and blah, blah, blah. But I could also say that there were times where my path could have been shorter and I chose not to take it of fear of the emotional repercussions if it didn't work out exactly the way I wanted it to or the fact that I didn't fully believe in myself 
and believe that I could show up in that way for auditions or whatever. Oh yeah, I think that's why I didn't like bother. I, I, I auditioned for Last Coming Standing like once and I just never did it again because I was like, I don't think I can, I don't think I can do it. And then like people at our level were getting on doing it and becoming famous. And it was just like, well, if they could do it. I could have done it. Like, why did I have yeah. that thing in me that said, but to be honest, I think, I think everyone's ready at different times. And I just, I didn't want to put my comedy out there that early on. It wasn't up to my standards. So like part of it was insecurity, but I was insecure because I didn't like what I was doing. I knew I was still on my way to something. I was funny enough, but I wasn't, I wasn't anywhere near where I wanted to be performance wise, writing wise. I mean, sometimes you subconsciously know what you're ready for and what you're not. Once you are ready for something Like what are the thoughts that are keeping you from, if life is sort of like, it's like a mix of luck and skill, right? Sometimes that skill's not there and you know it. And so you don't try But once the skill's there, you need the luck. Your limiting beliefs could sometimes stop that luck from happening. Or so it's just, you need to clear the path so that they can meet. And then your life is grand. (laughs) But when you're coming up, you just, you kind of know on some level, this isn't, you knew on some level you were going to be exploited you know, like, yeah, I, I just also like now looking back, like 2020 vision, like, I, I don't know if I could have handled not only like the rejection of it not working out. I don't know if I could have wor- handled it working out. I just wasn't yeah. mature enough. I know that like, I spent a lot of time being like upset and bitter that I didn't get certain things. But also looking back, I was like, I wasn't comedically mature. And I wasn't emotionally mature enough to handle that. And I would not be the comic I am today if I got any of the opportunities I wanted when I was younger. And some of them, I and we can kind of talk about this later with our topic, but like some of the things that I wanted were purely to feel good enough, purely to feel like I was valid, to feel yeah. seen. And it had nothing to do with my abilities and my craft. It had everything to do with feeling like I couldn't be loved as I was. Like I had to heal my pain in a very, not only toxic uh, uh, community, but like a toxic art form in the sense that I'm like, look at me, talk about my problems, <laughs> laugh at my jokes. Like, like I love comedy, but it is not, you don't get, nobody gets into to- comedy for, for healthy reasons, but yeah. I tried to heal and I, you know, I still have things I struggle with, but I tried to heal and make comedy as healthy as possible. And when I started paying even more pe- attention to the stuff I love, like the craft and the challenges of the craft, as opposed to the success and the challenges of being seen and and famous and all the other things that I needed to feel like I was lovable. That's when I stopped caring. Like, you know what I mean? Like I even, when I started to realize some of my self-sabotaging things, I really beat the shit out of myself. And now I look back on it and I go, I just wasn't ready. On every sense of the word, wasn't ready. So it's been a long healing journey to take this very toxic art form and community, as we all know, and industry and put it in and make it, if not healthy, at least not putting me down an even worse mental path. Yeah. Announcements? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Patreons. Patrons, you're wonderful. Thank you so much. We uh, genuinely appreciate you. If you're already a patron, you know about our bonus episodes. We now have weekly bonus episodes since this, we are in season two, if you didn't know. Uh, we have stickers. We have, you can control our Googles. You can become a Google guest. But for $5 up, you start to get our weekly bonuses. So uh, check us out, patreon.com slash doctors Follow us on the socials. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter at doctors the number two full word doctors and at instagram uh to non drs and uh if you haven't yet uh give us a rate and review that would be really kind on apple podcasts it help us get seen it helps people discover us it helps us feel good and um thank you to everyone who's left us really kind reviews we're happy 
we're happy about them. Yeah. And then personal announcements. My book comes out March 30th. Why cats are assholes. You can pre-buy it now. And then I'll be in Portland doing two outdoor shows April 3rd at Alberta Street Pub. All the information's on my website. The second show's already sold out. So I think there's only a couple tables left for the first show. Is Andrew opening? Yeah, he is. Oh, cool. Andrew and Sl- Andrew's uh, Slater. Very, very cool. excited. Very funny. Will you turn me down? Yeah, that's a great idea. Cool. <laughs> that's going to be in my little assessment. Turn volume down. Okay. Fan mail? <laughs> in what assessment? My co-host was really good, really on it. Had a lot of useful information. Never knows how to work the volume. Technically a bit off, but <laughs> eight out of 10. Both. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, fan mail. This is a Patreon comment from VJ. Uh, he says, hey guys, first Maria needs more content online. I checked out all the YouTube stuff and it's great, but too short. Oh, just like me, what? Um, <laughs> I know I need I need, I need, need longer stuff on YouTube, but um, I got what I got. So I also just listened to the love episode and wanted to share my take on what love is. I think love is just the intuition that something is worth it. Relationships build over time and become valuable as a partnership in all things. The butterflies and all of that is what gets you to look past the little things and start building that relationship. But like Maria's parents, mine are also an arranged marriage Indian. And it's interesting to see how love has grown from that. Because if you have a relationship and you build on it, you will naturally feel a stronger intuition that the relationship has value, even when something makes you question it. It's that intuition that uh, that may make you miss the red flags, but overlooking some things some people see as warning signs is necessary to build the relationship. I just thought it was an interesting perspective. I mean, I always think that people that grew up either with arranged marriages or even just like not that the 50s was arranged marriages but we hear it all the time where they're just like why don't marriages last like they used to and you're like women's rights you know like (laughs) I don't know what to tell you like the fact that we're able to have our own money so we're not trapped by someone else's income the fact that if we're being hurt or bad things are happening to us we can leave we got jobs we're meeting other people we're like my boss is way harder than you yeah (laughs) yeah that's 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 the aggressive way of saying it. But like, no, like I, I just feel like people don't acknowledge that marriage in a lot of ways was a trap for so many women, both societal traps or emotional traps. Where were you going to go if you didn't have the money or the resources or the community, as well as if you weren't able to push against societal uh, judgments of you and being ostracized, the belief that you get married and nobody else gets divorced. So then you're just, I guess I'm going to just acknowledge I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. There's so many fears around it and that's just not true anymore. So I think both looking at like my dad who grew up in the 50s not you know his parents weren't an arranged marriage but it was this kind of like this is very catholic this is one person forever till they die and then all my friends that have arranged marriages it's this is what it is you figure it out you make it work and that's just not how society is going forward and i don't fully think it's a bad thing not that i'm saying that's what bj was saying but like there is a part of me that's like there's this belief that things were done better in the past or that arranged marriages had a better idea. And I think in some ways we can pull from it, which is companionship, accepting flaws, making it work and trying hard and, and not fleeing at the first sign of conflict. But then on the other side, I don't, I'm sure that BJ didn't completely mean this, but I think some red, red flags are red flags, no matter if they show up day one or show up year five. 
And I think you always should assess them. And like, I remember my therapist telling me like, is this enough in my past relationship? Is this enough? And it took me so long to kind of understand what she was saying. But I think in some ways I'll look at a relationship that I'm in and I go, this is making me uncomfortable. This is making me not feel seen or loved or heard or whatever, but can I get it somewhere else? Are there other things that this person is doing that um, are exceptional and that can, this can be overlooked or not overlooked, but accepted? Nobody's perfect. No, nothing is seamless. There's always conflict, whether it's a friendship or a relationship or a work environment, you're always are going to have to figure it out. But if it's an overwhelming, I can't be happy in this. I don't, I don't think that's something anyone should stay in even if it is love I think the red flags thing is funny like I do you have you ever been in a relationship and then you were like do you know what I saw this at the beginning and I just ignored it I was like "Mm, that's fine I'm sure that's fine right you just sort of go yeah yeah. we're just we're just gonna push that aside (laughs) yeah but I dated uh, this guy and he was telling me the story about a conflict he got in and like his side of it wasn't great at all and I was just like seems like you're being a real dick in this situation you know but you don't say that you're just like yeah, oh yeah. my god they're assholes fuck them right but you're just they? like what i'm pretty sure you were the dick here <laughs> and then later yeah. on in the relationship you go yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i saw it i saw that yeah yeah it so, feels um, like a thread on a sweater where you're just like i'll just I'll just, I'll get to that later. I'll pull it later. And then you pull it and the whole dress comes apart and you're like, oh no, I should have just, I, I, can I tape it back? I don't want to see any of that. returned it when you saw the thread in the first place. Exactly. I should have returned it. Cause like even some red flags are a projection of your own fears. Also, I'm like a giant red flag. Like it's so hard. Like you just like dipped out and I, was I have to like, you should you know by now I'm just wiping my nose I'm on prescription oh. strength allergy medication and this is still how I breathe like oh, face. yeah oh and I'm, I'm an absolute fucking zombie too I'm just like <laughs> anyway but sorry but yeah I, I can imagine the red no, flags okay. can be a projection of yourself but also things that you're just like I know this is going to be, we're going to clash when this comes up later when I'm not as in love with you, (laughs) you know? Yeah, it's so hard. And that's why, like, I I do think of, like, you know, arranged marriages or 50s marriages, but, like, by the time you do, the red flag is a problem. You have a house and, like, three kids. (laughs) You know what I mean? And you're like, (laughs) oh, shit. It's too, like, like we're too intertwined. And again, now that's not the excuse that it once was to make it work. Now they're just like, I guess we're fucking getting another house and I'm going to be over here and you're going to be over here and I'm going to see you every three days. But I don't know. Like, I know I have a lot of, even when I said it earlier, like relationships are a trap. That's like one of my limiting beliefs that we were kind of talking about earlier. I, I believe relationships are a trap and I know that's a problem and I know that gets... Oh. It's, I know it's a real issue. Like it, it, I really started to worry in my last relationship that I was going to be trapped and I was unhappy in a lot of ways. So of course that would come up, but I've been happy in relationships and still felt that way. And I was like, yeah, Yeah. but I, I know I have a limiting belief about relationships in general, marriage, believing that they in the long run are going to be a trap. And when you do that, I can see that I put up walls. So I've always had a disdain for marriage or a belief that I don't want to be a part of it. And that's lessened. I don't see that as much. I'm still not like, let's all do it. 
but getting into a relationship, I feel anxiety. And then while I'm in the relationship, when it starts to get to the next steps, like I've only lived with one boyfriend, but like when it gets start, like I remember that's when I broke up with a, a boyfriend probably eight years ago. I already knew I was like not on the same page as him. But as soon as he said, you know, he's like, I was thinking we could move in together. I ended it within a week. Yeah. How bad is that? And if anything, it kind of made me realize like I, I didn't want to be with him. But I also like, I really feel bad that like he was like, I'm here with you. And I'm like, I am not. Goodbye. I mean, I think that was the healthiest thing you could have done. What unhealthy thing would have been like, yes, great idea. I hate this every step of the way. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. VJ, thank you so much for writing. Yeah, thanks, VJ. I I don't know if we helped at all, but I appreciate appreciate you. Um, Okay, Googles. Yeah. You want me to go first? I want to go first. Okay. I don't know why. Um, Okay. No problems here. now let me go first okay (laughs) why is my eye twitching okay Okay. I've always known and this is without ever googling I've always known that when my eye twitches it's always this eye when my eye twitches I'm really tired and it would usually happen when I was on the road when I was taking all these 6 a.m flights and after like weeks of doing it I was this I would start to twitch and it's like I don't think anybody notices it but it's extremely distracting and I have a hard time like focusing so for like four days now this eye has been twitching I've been doing podcasts and I you know you have to look at yourself now so now I'm like can anybody see it and then they're like asking me a question and I'm just like these are these are great questions like I just like can't focus and it started to freak me out because it was like I'm sleeping fine like I'm not traveling I mean I've, I've traveled a week ago but like I'm sleeping seven to eight hours so it was just kind of freaking me out okay causes of twitchy eyeness um fatigue which makes me feel good that I figured that out on my own without googling but fatigue stress caffeine alcohol smoking light sensitivity and then of course some medications I am on none and then very rare cases it could be like brain or nervous system disorders like Parkinson's brain damage multiple sclerosis Bell's palsy Tourette's uh dystonia I don't know what that is okay maybe it's stress or fatigue I don't know I don't again it doesn't feel any different and I'm I'm not doing anything out I'm just like in a different place doing the same stuff and I'm sleeping fine if anything sleeping better because pasta was like waking me up every day at 5 a.m and that's not happening but the change I made this is gonna sound so dumb and silly remember I was drinking my black tea with sugar and milk and I said no we're gonna stop that So I bought green tea and now every morning I drink like two, three cups of green tea. And I'm wondering if green tea has a significant more caffeine than, and also I would have one cup of my black tea with my sugar and milk. And also because I put so much milk in it, it was like this much, you know, black tea and then like this much milk. Like it was like, like almost half and half. And now I'm just having a cup of plain green tea and I will have like two or three in a row. Yeah. Is that a lot? I mean, <laughs> dang, because I mean, I've, I've been drinking a lot of caffeine, like late, like seriously, every hour I'm making a cup of tea or coffee. It's too much. And I get that. Uh, green tea, I find has, it's not that it has more caffeine. I think it actually has less caffeine, but the way it's released in your system is a lot slower. So like if I drink green tea at night, I can't get to sleep at all. But if I drink black tea, I can because it'll spike. I'll have my caffeine rush and then it'll fall. The green tea is like steadier and takes longer. Remember you used to make ice green tea when you stayed with me years ago? Yes. And I, I just made, I just made some. Yeah. Next. Yeah. So I was doing that for a while after you left because I really liked it and it Aww. just felt, you know, we made it with honey. It felt a little healthier. 
but I realized very quickly I had to make it half calf. Like I had to do half the tea bags. Oh yeah. Because I was getting anxious and I was like, what? It's green tea, <laughs> but I don't drink coffee. And I wasn't at that point even drinking that much black tea and I was getting like anxious. So I had to go half calf. So now I'm starting to think my eye twitch is caffeine. I think I yeah. like figured it out on air. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, when you I have to go to- figured that out. No, you did. Okay. Whatever. I gave you the worst look. I was like, we're both doctors. You really did. I was like, you did. You you, you got everything. You're so sorry. Oh, oh, okay. No, we did it together. <laughs> I'm worthless. Why am I even here? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So, but when to know that it is serious though, it says when to go to the doctor. Twitches last longer than a week. Okay. I haven't twitched today. I've only been up like an hour, but. Um, you haven't had caffeine yet though. I haven't. Oh, shit. I'm going to test myself. Okay. Um, eyelid closes completely spasms involve your you know your facial muscles so that would probably be like a bell's palsy situation eye redness swelling discharge or upper eyelid droops oh this made me laugh okay so there's like no real cure other than like cutting back on the alcohol and getting more sleep and blah 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 but the other one is the most common is botox and i was like how funny would it be that i was just like oh i had to get my eye was twitching it's not that i was scared about wrinkles or aging it's my eye twitch is the reason i got both it's medical it's medical my insurance it's covered medical- it yeah like like I try to get in a car crash to get my nose done like (laughs) I'm about to get my nose done just so I can breathe again was it Judy Gold she had a joke about the fact that she had to get like reconstructive nose surgery but on the inside because no I didn't know why did she sound too nasal or like what was it I don't know what it was but there was some kind of issue and she basically her whole inside of her nose got redone like her nose that's what I want I'm gonna scoop that shit out I don't know what's going on with me but I can't I can't live like this anymore Okay, uh, you're Google. Okay, so I Googled, why do I look so tired? Because, and I know you can't really see it. This camera, for some reason, it has some sort of like Snapchat filter built into it because I don't look like this. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even do makeup. I don't know what this camera is doing. (laughs) Because if I turn this camera off, like, do you remember on Pee Wee's Big Adventure when he was in the truck with Large Marge? And then she, he looks over and she's like, <laughs> like she has like the goo. That's me when you turn the camera off. That's what I actually look like. So, oh, sweet um, claymation. I'm excited. <laughs> so, in Times of India says, here are five reasons, right? Well, it starts with number two for some reason because they didn't, they don't know how to do listicles, I guess. Because <laughs> the first one's like, <laughs> first one's just the opening paragraph. And then number two, allergies. Yep, there's that. Great. I have them. Yeah. Number three, dehydration. Yep. Yeah. Never drink any water. I know I should. I try. It's hard. Okay. Number four, intake of salty food. What? Yeah. Just cut to me with like a straw in my soy sauce. It's like soy sauce. Just. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, too much of that. That's what I said. That's what I said. I said a straw in my soy sauce. Oh, I didn't hear it. It was laughing. I know you're too busy making your own joke, but can you just leave that to me? Just trust me. (laughs) You're you must be fatigued because you are very agitated right now. And I don't appreciate it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, um, your straw joke. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, number five, access caffeine intake. Yep. Like I said, I've been drinking coffee and tea every hour on the hour. Just, it gets me through the day. It breaks up the day. You know what I mean? Cause like you do it's a little like a, work. It's like a break. Yeah. It's, um, it gives you something to look forward to. Yeah. And I don't drink anymore. So in the evening, I'm just having more coffee just yeah. to kind of have something to drink. And number six, oops, I clicked on a fucking ad. God damn it. Um, number six, eye strain. What? No, oh, yeah. that's not that. Maybe what? it is. All we do is oh, stare I, at a stick. All up. I do is stare at the computer. I'm editing constantly yeah. or yeah. yeah. You have so, all the symptoms. 
I have every symptom it listed. <laughs> it literally could be like, does a podcast and you'd be like, God damn it. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause like the zoom calls, the podcast, the editing, the fucking transcribing, like all the shit. Right. So I guess I'll just have to drink more water and like cut down my salt intake. And, um, I don't know, but I'm just looking really old and tired lately. Yeah. I've been slamming seltzer and it is helping with dehydration and I like it better than like, so I drink like my tea. So that's water. And then I have maybe a glass of regular water, but I've mostly been drinking like five seltzers a day. Yeah. But the tea has caffeine. So that dehydrates you. So it sort of cancels each other out. No, no, you're right. And then, um, no, I mean, green tea is much better for hydrating than any of the other teas or coffee. And then all the weird botanicals of green tea. I'm sure we've talked about how green tea is good for you. Everybody says green tea is good what for you. What do you think you. is in green tea? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I assume like some Asian woman comes up and just lifts my face and like clears my skin <laughs> while I'm drinking it. Like, I don't know what I think. I just, I, I they make green tea sound like it has superpowers. So every oh, I time I drink it, like, I really do think I'm like, healing my body like the way someone would be eating like kale yeah for breakfast lunch and dinner yeah yeah it does seem to I have even post, healing I, effects I do think it I makes you thinner I don't know all I know is that I posted a picture yesterday of a donut and a cup of green tea and I was like they cancel each other out right guys like yeah that's exactly I'm how not, I think <laughs> yeah I'm not too far from that logic like yeah I'll have Chinese food every night, but every day for lunch, I'm having a kale salad. So who knows yeah, what's bad? Know. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who's to know what the culprit is? Um, yeah. Okay. So are you going to try to make any changes now that yeah, you know like, that uh, everything I'm going to, I'm going to cut down on my caffeine. I have to, uh, I'm going to start getting some like decaf coffee and tea. Cause I could still go through the ritual of making a drink and having yeah. a hot beverage. It just doesn't have to have caffeine in it. Salt. Yeah, I can, ugh, it's, a, it's a hard one to give up, isn't it? I'm going to cut out iodized salt and just try to have the Himalayan shit. <laughs> and then what else did it say dehydration just drink more water so that's what i'm gonna do and i'll report back on how i how i feel you don't even have to no report month. you'll just be on camera and i'll be like girl look i at will you. just be a halo you'll be like oh my god yeah. have you been drinking water <laughs> yeah, yeah holy just, shit uh, yeah and the little water bottles are like hovering around you <laughs> um my friend saying with has a water bottle like you know how like a fitbit will like calculate your steps and then you can have a community and they'll be like i'm taking a hundred thousand steps but like i took you know ten thousand steps today you took twelve thousand steps hers is water so she has like it like glows when she hasn't drank enough water and then it'll also like it the water bottle is like it's like a smart water bottle but it is kind of funny because like i'll be at her desk working and then her water bottle will start like making weird noises and stuff and i'm like i think your water bottle is calling you i don't I don't know how to handle it. It's so this. funny, like how we have inanimate objects telling us how to live our lives. Like my phone's like, what are you grateful for today? Like every day at 9 a.m. Don't forget to remind yourself what you're grateful for. Thank you, yeah. Calm app. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Calm. <laughs> Glad you're here to center me. Let's get personal. Yeah. What are you scared of becoming? I gave little examples. Did you see it? I can give them no. to you now. What are they? Okay, so like, are you scared of becoming bitter? Are you scared of becoming your parents? Are you scared to act like you're better than people? Are you scared to be unrelatable? Like this question is like, what is the thing that like, when you do something or like you see somebody else do something that you're like, please never let me become that. Yeah, I'm I'm afraid of becoming, I guess, angry and bitter. And all I ever do is complain 
and I don't put myself out there. I don't try. I just sort of become a shut in and just give up. It's so tempting to give up because there's just an, there's that much TV that I could just be, <laughs> like I actually don't need anything. <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. It's so easy to give up because there's that much TV. Funny. Um, You're not wrong either. Like it's both funny and I'm like, yeah, it's a really solid perspective. Yeah. I mean, if I just had to watch Netflix, Netflix is actually like, yeah, it's just, I, if I get out of the habit of watching Netflix, I get a lot of work done. And then once I go, you know what, go on, watch an episode in the middle of the day, who cares? You know? And then I'm just like, that's what I do now. (laughs) Like now every day at 3 PM, I want to watch an episode. Yeah. (laughs) And then you're like, why is the coffee so far away? Just come to me. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I see people, uh, who just, are a bit older than me, just unhappy about where they are in life, but they're not doing anything to change it. They're just sort of just unhappy. And like, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of becoming that. And somebody who like one of those like open mic comedians who stays in open mics for 25 years, you know, like, um, someone who doesn't, yeah. Someone who doesn't progress and doesn't notice. And I I don't know, like, like as far as my own career, I'm like, how long do I keep doing this until I'm that, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I mean, I want to say fucking question. (laughs) I think the question brings awareness. Think about how everybody's like, oh, I'm so scared. I'm going to become my mother. I'm so scared. I'm become my father. Like, but like, then they don't have any awareness that like, A, the likelihood is high. They taught you how to be who you are, whether it was conscious or unconscious. So mine is definitely being bitter. And I went through a bitter phase and I can realize that. And, you know, I had a lot of shame around it, but now I'm like, well, I'm out of it. And I just have to make sure I don't like go back into it. But I think we've all in this industry, especially have dealt with bitter people. And it's like, you, it's like writhing, like you to have a conversation. Like I find myself like literally being like, I might leave the whole business just to not be in this conversation right now. Yeah. Like I find it so uncomfortable and sometimes it's uncomfortable because it's it's penetrating my own fears of becoming that oh yeah and relating to them like sometimes they'll be like right the way they treat women and I'm just like well you know it's not just because you're a woman like you're also unpleasant to talk to like you know what I mean like you want to be like but I also agree that it is harder for women or this business is unfair like it's hard to hear somebody be so it's really funny you you know what I mean like so (laughs) relentlessly awful to talk to. to Yeah. And you're oh yeah. Oh my it? God. Half the people who blame stuff on being a woman is like, I'm like, I don't think it's, this isn't on women this time. Yeah. It's you. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're just like, it, it could be 10%, but it's not hundred <laughs> percent. Like some of it is your personality and no yeah. one's going to tell you that. I do worry about it. I see it in my family and people, even people that I love, I see it and I go, Oh, I don't know. Like you're going down a path that's, is going to be unpleasant for everyone involved. But I think, you know, there's definitely fears of certain habits my dad has that I'm, I've, do you I've think that, a- oh, sorry. Do you think that your career has changed since you've become less bitter about other people's paths and success? And like, since you kind of like just had more of a peripheral, not a peripheral vision, a more of a um, tunnel vision about what you want. Like, I think that you have actively made a change to not be so like negative in your speaking and in your thinking of others. And I think I've, even, I, you know, I've noticed that because I've been like, oh my God, this person's so fucking annoying. And you'll, you'll be on my side, but without actually indulging in that too, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, and- I, I, it was really active. Like it was really noticing that I was never a big gossiper but I was a like, if you would go, hey, did you hear blah, 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 got that? I would go on a rampage about how they don't deserve it and fuck them and da, da, yes. da, da, da. And now you'll go, hey, did you hear da, 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 got that? And I go, oh, you know what? 
they work really hard and like not lying. I'll be like, you know what? I noticed they've worked really hard. And while I might not find them funny or I might not think they're the most deserving in a creative sense, they worked hard and it worked out for them. And that's great. And I hope the same thing is done onto me and done onto you and done onto my friends. But like, I've noticed that like, I don't always have the full picture. How people get to where they are is so random and all over the place that there's not, you know what it is? It's been a a mixture of paying attention to my thoughts and how I talk about people and knowing that I don't want people to talk about that about me, but also this understanding that everything is out of our control and that success really is a mixture of talent, hard work, and luck. And I don't always have luck on my side, but I'm controlling everything that I can control. And so if somebody walks into a room and they get the part and it's pure luck, good for them. I hope someday I also fall into a pile of luck. Right now I'm just on the timing and, and, and talent and hard work part. And that's all I can control. I think for me, being more aware of how I talk to people and when I do hear friends kind of go on a negative thing, I will be there for them. But I'll also be like, well, you want that opportunity too. Do you think you're upset because you feel you're also as deserving of that opportunity and you feel like they're taking it away from you, which isn't logically what's happening. Maybe if your dream is to host the Golden Globes, then yeah, once a year, one person has that opportunity. But for the most part, if your goal is to have a sitcom, it does feel like there's endless opportunities to have a sitcom. There was like a, a on Peep Show, one of the guys was like, I think he was looking at a happy couple or something. He's just like, oh, look at them. They're stealing all the happiness. And then the other one was like, that is not how happiness works. And then his inner monologue was like, that is exactly how happiness works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've even noticed like, I was on like a, a couple, I was did stand up on a Valentine's day show. And then I did like a panel Valentine's day show thing. It was like a little chat thing with my friend Ian when it started. And he was like, what are you doing today? And I was like, I got a COVID test in the cold. It was freezing. But what I also did is I stayed off Instagram because everybody's posting their, you know, I love my, and I'm not angry about it now, you know, not being in a relationship, but I also don't need to shove that down my throat either. You know yeah. what I mean? And so yeah. it's also the same thing that like, A good example is like, we'll have somebody we know get something and I'll be like, I think I don't want to talk about it today because I don't think I can control my emotions. I think I might say something shitty that's, even if they never hear it, it's still not the right way of putting myself out there. So I have made a lot of baby efforts to not be bitter about people's relationships or people, you know, success in their career or what have you. If I have to not be around it so that I can be a better version of myself, I'll do that. You know, you should be able to be around it, but there's just some days that are harder. But I I would say like fear of being bitter, fear of some attributes that my dad exhibits that I feel he's unconscious of. I think I'm really scared of being unrelatable. And and it's really interesting to me because I think I grew up feeling unrelatable, like feeling like a freak, feeling unlovable, feeling like people don't get me. Then through comedy, I really social skills. And I remember maybe five years into comedy still saying this, this thing that wasn't true anymore, which is that I don't know how to talk to people. And it just wasn't true. Like I built up skills to talk to people on stage. And then I figured out how to do it off stage. I built confidence in myself and, and being funny. And that all of a sudden I'm great at parties. I don't, I still don't like them, but I'm great at parties. I'm great at meeting new people. I know how to be a good podcast guest. Like there's all this stuff that I gained through comedy that has made me a different version of myself. But I am weirdly scared of like diminishing returns, like where I come up here 
I now can talk to people and I'm like fun to be around. And at some point I'm going to just talk about cats too much or like a podcast. I'm scared that I'm going to get so me and so like confident. This sounds like crazy, but like be so content with myself that I don't try to be on people's page. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like, there's this fear that you're going to lose some aspect to your personality if you if you try to get rid of too much, like that, like that critical thinking, that thing that makes you the comedian that you are, the thing that makes you think differently or whatever. And then, sorry to interrupt you, but if I lose that little fear of being liked, maybe I won't work hard enough to be relatable, to be approachable, to be kind. Like there is a part of me that's worried that if I love myself wholeheartedly, that I will be that like, and I don't want like, Maybe if I was a fashion designer, I could be eccentric and not care what people think, but that's not what our career is. Our career is about relatability and humor. And there's a part of me that fears that I'm going to get so healthy. This is crazy, by the way. I'm going to get so healthy, heal all my wounds. And then I'm just going to come on stage and be like, you're welcome, everybody. And they're going to be like, this is trash. Yeah, there's that thing in the back of your head. Like, well, if you get too perfect, you're not relatable. You have nothing to say. I mean, that's why I don't want to get rich. I don't want, I need to be able to relate to people. Yeah, I'm yeah, actively stopping rich. myself from all my riches. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> you put in the savings account, you forget about it. You could be rich. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's get into our topic. Yeah. Our topic this week is abandonment issues. Um, Yay. I don't know why I said it so excited. Yeah. You know why I'm weirdly excited about this topic? Why? It is the first therapy psychological thing that I identified and made jokes about, but understood that I had it way before therapy. Like I was making abandonment issue jokes and maybe it's because it's in the zeitgeist and it's the one therapy thing everybody knows about. That could be it. And it's maybe cliche. And I was pulling from cliche jokes. You know, one of my favorite jokes from my first album is the comparison of my cat's abandonment issues to mine. I go, my cat has some of the worst abandonment issues I've ever seen that I only recognize because I see them in myself. I listened to that recently and I was like, it's pretty good. Yeah. I have a, I have one. Yeah. Like the, uh, the being needy about like my boyfriend, like we're needing to hang out every night, but I'm needy with everybody. Like I was sitting yes. at a cafe and then the person next to me got up to leave and I felt it. I was like, where are you going? Are you, what is this? Are you coming back? I miss you. Jokes, I remember when you first did it and all I could think is like, is everyone else as aware? Like I, I, cause it's such a perfectly subtle joke that I'm like, you have to have what you have. And then when it kills, I'm like, we're all broken. Like, like I get really <laughs> excited when I'm in the audience and it does well, because I'm just like, cause I, to me, it's such a perfect joke that like, without saying all the words, you're just like, why isn't everybody, where are we going? You were, I needed you. Like, I just yeah. loved it. I don't know, man. Like I did some research and I thought I healed a lot of this and I have not like, that's pretty much what's like, I'm in a slight existential crisis because I was like, you know, I've gone over a lot of it. I still have some of my abandonment issues, but I'm, and then I was like reading it and I was like, Nope, I got rid of one. Okay. Oh God. Well, let's talk about it. I feel like abandonment issues is pretty self-explanatory, but for the most part, they believe the biggest contribution has to do with your childhood. So it's a traumatic, it could be anything from a traumatic event of like a lost parent or, you know, like a, like a divorce parent, you know, parents leaving or a death of a parent. But what I think we have experienced is basically not getting enough physical or emotional care as a child. Like, but we, you're going to pretend like I don't know you. Is that what you're doing right now? I don't understand how you can think that I didn't get enough emotional care as a child. I got too much. I was smothered with emotional care. 
Yeah, but it was inconsistent. That's the other. I'll How? get into it. Okay. I'm I'm right on this. I don't think so. Actually, I'm going to fight you on this one. I'll usually let you analyze me. And I'll be like, she right, she right. But like this time, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll come back to this argument. Um, they do also acknowledge that you can have it. It can be onset as an adult when you lose a partner. So, you know, if your boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband dies, leaves, you know, all that stuff can trigger abandonment issues. But many of them are stemmed from childhood. Okay, so emotional emotional abandonment just so we're clear, is when you don't let a child express their emotions, you ridicule, you ridicule, ridicule your children, uh, put too much pressure on the child to be perfect, and uh, treat the child like they're your peers. Common sides. Giving too much or being overly eager to please, jealousy in your relationships or others, trouble trusting your partner's intentions, feeling insecure about your relationship, having difficulty in feeling intimate emotionally, needing to control or be controlled by your partner, settling for unsatisfactory relationships, uh, overly sensitive to criticism, difficulty trusting others, difficulty making friends unless you know for sure someone likes you, taking extreme measures to avoid rejection or separation, getting um, attached to people quickly, but then moving on just as quickly, difficulty uh, committing to a relationship, blaming yourself when things don't work out, and then um, staying in a relationship even if it's healthy, which is settling. So those are all like the common signs that you have abandonment issues. I mean, I don't have all of them, but there were a lot where I was like, yep, yep, yep. Okay, yours are like people-pleasing, Avoiding a relationship. I would say, I would say people pleasing for sure, avoiding relationships, uh, not being as emotionally intimate in fear. Like if they get to know me, they're not going to want to be with me. Um, oh crap. My battery's low. And this is, and it's different with each relationship. Cause I think different people can like trigger you, but I would often, I now can tell that I would put a wall up and I wouldn't completely be myself or completely commit to the, re- not commit in the sense that I'm not like cheating or whatever, but emotionally I wouldn't completely be there because I'm scared of them getting to know me or being completely vulnerable, I guess. If, if, and that's the case. And I did that a lot earlier on. And I still struggle with that a little bit. I would definitely get in the beginning of a relationship, have a lot of fears that if we're not together or we're not in constant communication, that they don't like me anymore and they don't want to be around me and that they're going to mm. break up with me. Like I've definitely I have that had, one. Yeah. I've dealt with that a lot and it's kind of gotten better, but it's kind of hard to even analyze if something's gotten better. Cause I'd be in a relationship for a couple of years, be single for a couple of years. Every relationship starts the same with this abandonment anxiety. As soon as I like someone, I also have a real fear of being annoying. Cause that's like my insecurity. So in the beginning of the relationship, I sometimes feel like I can't fully be my annoying self. And now I'm just like, if somebody doesn't like me at my annoying self, they don't like me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you just, you're At some point, like, it's just me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, I know me labeling it as annoying is problematic, but the truth of the matter is, is I like being annoying. Like, that's what I do. Like, it takes me a lot longer to trust people. It takes me a lot longer to show up emotionally. I'm fun, but like to really be vulnerable. And like, I got better in my last relationship, I know, because I would say, hey, these are my, fe- I'm worried that you're going to sideswipe me and out of nowhere, you're just going to end things and I'm not going to know why. So if you're upset, I want to, I want to trust you and know that you're going to say something. And then I started to be able to say the same thing, which I was always scared of people sideswiping me, but then I would sideswipe other people. And then I was like, Hmm, that's telling. But I think in general, I have a real fear of people seeing me as I am. Like, I think that's where, and then seeing me and not wanting to be with me and that Mm. D and then I've dated people 
what I've noticed from this list is that I date those people too. I am dating the people pleaser. I am dating the uh, emotional avoidant person. And they have a couple attachment issues that um, I'll list later. But like everything that I'm doing, I'm also dating that person and then getting frustrated when they don't do it. And then I think I read to you, there was some, there's some like Instagram relationship person that I like. And he was like, unpopular opinion. The reason you keep dating the person that is emotionally closed off or not intimate is because you are emotionally closed off and can't be emotionally. Oh, intimate. I a hundred percent think that I, I chased, right. I always went for the emotionally unavailable people and like the guys who just didn't want a relationship. I was like, well, I'm in love with you now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I them, But like, I think it's because, um, my, my parents are so overbearing. They're so overprotective. They're so like, you know, my dad calls me every day to make sure I'm alive. Like they're so that I feel smothered. And because of that, I'm safe chasing someone. I know they're not going to smother me. So I know like if I'm the one smothering, <laughs> then yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. fine. It's almost like it's like smother or be smothered. I guess I, and you can clearly tell me if I'm wrong. I guess I always assume, cause we're, this is funny. I do think we grew up very differently and met in the same place, which I always find really funny. Yeah. We both are broken. Like we're both broken vases, but like I was thrown and you were just like rolled endlessly. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Until I wore it down. Like it just feels like I've noticed so much with my friendships that it's like, we both have the same problems, but we got there in wildly different ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, but from understanding your family, I think there's a part of me that it's still inconsistent. And I think that inconsistency brings on anxiousness. So with me, my mom, I didn't know if I was going to get like my mom was either sad or angry. Those were my mom's emotions. They both equally weren't fun, but sad was safer than angry. Then my dad was either yeah, let's fix this. I got you. Or just crazy overbearing yell at like they were both super inconsistent. I never knew if I was getting nice dad or like, you know, punished you're the worst at it up for no reason. I kind of see in some ways there's an ink like your parents are overbearing, but when did they show up emotionally for you? And I feel like that was what was inconsistent because the message you're sending when somebody is overbearing is that they care about you, but they care about you in a place where you can't be heard that you, that you're not trusted, that your, that uh, your autonomy isn't, you know what I mean? Your ability to take care of yourself isn't trusted, but then there's clearly scenarios either with clearly your brother being trusted. So I just think in some ways, maybe the inconsistency was between you and your siblings or your inconsistency was between how your dad would show up for you, but there was some kind of inconsistency. That's, that's my analysis. Yeah. It's like, it, it was like, um, it's like, I love you, but don't do that. <laughs> like, yeah. don't, don't be a comedian. Don't, you know, but I mean, he does love me un unconditionally. Cause like, of course, so I still parents. did what I want and they still, he still loved me, but it wasn't like, I felt like he knew me a hundred percent and loved me. And I felt like that was supportive. You know, it's just like, I love you because you're my daughter. <laughs> it's not the same as I, I, I was telling, who was I telling? I think Johnny, I was like, I was like, I think support is so underrated, you know, because you ever met the comedians whose whose whole family comes to their comedy shows and like, you know, they like soar. They do so well, you know, yeah. like I, Amy Schumer's dad, like, I think he was supportive of her career and Lena Dunham, she could say whatever she wants. I just remember like thinking Lena Dunham's talking about sex and like to her mom and just being like, what the fuck, you know? And like, yeah. it, just like parents who support their kids do really well. And then like, I still didn't feel, even though they love me, I didn't feel supported. I didn't feel like they would they would come to a comedy show, but I don't know if that they would, like, I've never made my dad laugh, you know? Yeah. I remember the first time my dad came and 
saw me was when I taped for Comedy Central. I was 22 years old and nervous out of my mind. And I did my set. There were some restrictions for Comedy Central, but I did my set. And my my mom looked scary. Like my mom looked terrified for me in the audience. And I couldn't look at her. (laughs) <laughs> and then after the show, I saw my parents. I'm like high as a kite. It went well, blah, blah, blah. And my dad looked so disappointed in me. And then afterwards, I think it was days later, he was like, that's that's not what I thought you did or something like that. And it just took the wind out of my sails. Like it just really. And so going forward, I didn't because I, you know, I used to not invite them because I didn't think I was good enough. And then when I was on TV, I was like, they're going to see that I'm taping. They're going to see that I'm good enough. Da, 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 da. But, you know, my dad's very strict about language and all that stuff. So then going forward, my dad would want to, and he was supportive in other ways, but he would want to be supportive and come. And I was like, dad, you can't come. And he's like, why? I was like, because if I see you look disappointed or you make me feel bad about my set, you just ruin comedy for me. So if you cannot control your face and (laughs) how you feel about my stuff, you can't come. And we kind of came to like a nice agreement. And my dad was like, you're right. I'm not sure. I don't like everything that you're saying. And it was like pleasant. But then, and so the only things I invited him to was when it was like super restricted. Like I did a a show for a, a marathon, like a marathon pasta dinner. And it was all running jokes and it was all clean. So then fast forward, my special taping is like, I'm stressing out about it. it was November of 2019. And my mom's coming, she's inviting staff. Like, so even my dad invited his staff to go, but he was like, should I come? And I go, I don't know if that's a good idea. And he goes, okay, well, I want to be supportive. So maybe I can wear like noise canceling headphones and sit in the back. And Aww. I go, dad, I'm going to be doing a special and there's going to be an old man with headphones on. They're going to think there's like some weird guy stalker man is in the back or like that you work for the crew. Like, what is, I was like, that's really nice, but no, like, no, you can't come if you think you're going to have to wear noise canceling headphones. And then he ended up watching it on YouTube. He goes, it wasn't that bad. (laughs) My dad calls me up. He goes, it wasn't that bad. Not great show or whatever. He's just talking about the language and the topics. It wasn't that bad. I, I enjoyed it. Oh, I did want to say the the um of the type of styles. Okay, so there's a couple of different attachment styles that a, people with abandonment issues have. So there's the avoidant attachment style. You do not let people to get close to you. You may feel you can't open up to others, making you appear distant, private, or withdrawn. I was very much that in the beginning of my dating is that I just was super closed off. So I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be open, but I just couldn't do it. And I've dated, I've also, as I've gotten healthier, have still dated that person and noticed that I'm not as healthy as I think I am because I keep dating. They're in a relationship. They are my boyfriend, but they are like walls, all, all four sides. Anxious, which we've talked about before. That so anxious. Me. Yeah. yeah. So anxious attachment is um, feels anxious when separated from their partner tend to be more emotionally reactive. It may be easy to see conflicts as a concern that your partner would may leave you, which makes you act in fear. Yeah. I've also been that. I still struggle with that one. And that one's one where I'm calling you. I'm like, I'm being crazy right now, but I'm sure it's over. I'm like, it's you know, like, he hates, <laughs> he me. hates me. And I'm like, what happened? You're like, he didn't return my text for 45 minutes. And yeah. I know he's in a meeting. And I'm like, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's over and I know it. It's over. Um, in the beginning of relationships, I'm much more like that. I've gotten a little bit better, but it's, 
relationships are a real trigger. Like start the yeah. beginning of a relationship. I, I've said it before. I can't enjoy the honeymoon period of a relationship because I'm in constant like distress of like, Wah! like I want to heal that. I want to be able to enjoy the fun part or just accept that maybe it just might be the fun part and then they go away and then it wasn't meant to be because they can only, they can also only handle the fun part. Like I have this like belief that even short relationships are somehow my fault and not we got to know each other and it wasn't the right fit. Yeah. And then the last one is, I've never heard of this one, disorganized attachment style, having difficulty remaining intimate and close because it could also be inconsistent and may feel anxious being in a relationship and want to avoid closeness. So I kind of feel like that's anxious and avoidant put together. Yeah, I think that's like a different way of saying like um, it's a combined. I think I have a friend who who's like that. He gets into relationships. He's all about them for a good month. <laughs> and then he's like, hater. <laughs> what the fuck happened yeah oh god yeah I find myself um very anxious in the beginning and then feeling comfortable and then when things get hard becoming avoidant and that's both of those not healthy so this is treating clearly understanding what your triggers are learning uh to withdraw when triggered you can sometimes go hey I'm scared you're gonna leave me and it's causing me this anxiety and they can calm you but like if it's every week at some point you have to do your own work you know what right. I mean? It's not fair to make them always calm this thing that's, they're like, I just went to the bathroom. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, totally on. Uh, get, get comfortable having the conversations about your fears in a calm and respectful manner. I do think being able to say like, hey, I'm acting out in fear. I'm trying not to put this on you, but da, 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 not, and even sometimes I'll be like, it's not that you actually even need to change anything. It's just, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not gonna tell you not to go on a business trip. Like it's yeah. just, I have said when I'm traveling, like I'll let you know when I land, but that's cause I want you to tell me when you land. I just have so much anxiety that you're going to die in the sky that I just, just let me know that you landed. <laughs> like, I know you're busy. Yeah. I know you're tired. And then of course they say therapy. You can explore the root of the problem, which we've kind of talked about different roots. And then we all make fun of self-care. We all make fun of it. It's silly, but it's really helpful. And I've really noticed like self-care is like journaling, going for walks, doing other things you enjoy. But sometimes when you're in this kind of anxious spiral, because, you know, somebody didn't send a text message for 45 minutes, just being like, Liz, it's been 45 minutes. Like you got it. Like, and just kind of talking to yourself, journaling, even the thing you talked about at the beginning of this, uh, doing what you did and what we talked about right at the beginning, which is where did these beliefs come from? Why, mm -hmm. why do I assume when somebody doesn't text me back within 45 minutes, they completely stopped loving me. But yeah, I, I journal a lot. My first, when I feel reactive, my first thought process is to either call like you or call a close friend and be like, am I being crazy? And then if it doesn't go away, it's to journal and be like, where is this really coming from? And then kind of letting it calm so that what normally happens is they then text you and they go like nothing. Ha it's so funny that you'll have a mental breakdown and then they text oh, you to be like, hey, yes. how was your day? And you're, they don't know that for three hours, you just discovered you've been broken up with in your head, yeah. uh, freaked out, then healed yourself. Yeah. And now they're like, Hey, how's your day? I was thinking that we could go get some dinner tonight. And you're like, can I tell them that I just had the worst day of my life from something they didn't really cause and it's not their fault, but that's how I interpret it. Oh my it. God. Baron Vaughn had a joke about like uh voicemails left from a girl yes. on his, do you remember that joke? Yes. It was it's like so his good. act, that was one of the funniest jokes. And I wish I could remember like, I mean, but the, the like the, her ascension into insanity on like the more he didn't call her back and she just kept leaving voicemails. Was that how it went? And then yeah, and I just... actually 
I knew the girl he I was friends at the time with the girl that he was dating I was really close with him but he wrote that joke too but like it really was it was just like hey just want to see if you want to hang out later click hey it's been like an hour I just want to make sure that you're okay um you know give me a call back click you know if you don't want to fucking be with me you should just fucking say it because you know what I'm I deserve love I deserve love you know pick up your stuff I don't give a fuck click I just saw that you were doing a podcast and I want to apologize. Like it was like, but he does it so much. It's so good. We have to find it. Um, but uh, on that lovely note, um, uh, we would love to hear if, uh, if you learned anything from us, uh, you know, um, you could tell us, probably don't want to hear about all your abandonment issues, but like um, what you've kind of done to self-soothe when you feel like and you if are we don't write triggered. back right away. Yeah. Yeah. Don't we don't, out. we don't want you to tell us about your abandonment issues and we are very behind on emails. Um, but you can write into us at two non-doctors, two non-forwarddoctors at gmail.com. You know, tell us about how you've, um, healed your abandonment issues and what you've done to, to not put that burden on the person you are dating. Um, but thank you so much, guys. We appreciate you. Thank you. Bye. Some of it is your personality and no yeah. one's going to tell you that.